0: You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. All right, good morning, Radiant Church. So good to see all of you here on a somewhat rainy Sunday morning, I believe. So not sure if Michigan can make up its mind. But hey, thanks for being here so much. I recognize that you could be anywhere, but you decided to worship with us, and that is such a big deal. Shout out to our online audience as well on Facebook and YouTube. If you're new with us, my name is Marco. I am the lead pastor here. And again, thank you for making Rainy a part of your weekend. Before we get into part three, Final installment of our sermon series. I want to just celebrate a couple things quickly with you. The first thing I want to celebrate is last weekend here at Radiant Church, over two over two Sunday services, we had or we broke the record for the amount of kids checked into our kids classroom. Check this check this out, you guys. We had 92 kids here over two services. That is really, really, really awesome. Amazing, amazing, amazing. I don't want to brag, and I'm not not trying to brag, but I am saying that it's bigger than some churches here in Bay City, all right? So that is incredible. Um, And can I just say, this whole year, our attendance with kids has just been going up, up, and up. And so we are so blessed, um, and we're grateful for all of these kids. We're not sure where we're going to put them all. We may have to have um, uh, classrooms out in the middle of the snow, so just make sure parents just bundle them up, and we'll keep them as warm as we possibly can for the wintertime. But no, seriously, we're just grateful to God and um, really so um, excited for the opportunity to steward um, the good gifts that God has given us. And the second thing that I want to mention was already mentioned on the announcements, but let me sort of re-emphasize it: it, is that this Christmas, we are having three Count them three Christmas Eve services, 1 p.m., 2.30, and 4 o'clock. So bring your friends, bring bring your family, bring your enemies, bring in the cynics. It's going to be an incredible time, and these are one-hour, right, one-hour family services because that's about as much time as we can get in before the kids go bonkers, right? And so these are going to be just a family... Uh, friendly services. Now, last year, why are we doing three, Pastor Marco? Because last year, we did two. Now, some of you remember that first service was so... I mean, we had over 300 people here. We literally had no aisles. People were sitting on top of one another. I kid you not. And I love you guys, but I don't want anyone to sit on my lap. It's just awkward. It's inappropriate. And I don't want to sit on your head either because that's just more inappropriateness, right? And so we've got to have a a little bit of room to breathe. My prayer is, honestly, that we would have around 200 people per service, which I think we could definitely pull that off. I think is very likely. So please, please, please mark your calendars, 1 o'clock, 2.30, and 4 o'clock. And then also remember, the next day is Christmas. We will not be gathering on Christmas Day. I want to give the staff um, the day off. I want to give our team members the, the day off, but... We will be here on January, I think it's the first actually, uh, to kick off the new year on that Sunday morning. We will be here meeting. So no services here at Radiant Church on Christmas Day, but three of them on Christmas Eve. All right. Woo! Okay. Let's dive into part number three. Our final installment before we move into sort of an Advent series next week, I want to Um, bring this series to an end, the almighty dollar, the power of money and how to handle it. This is a very important message series because we know, listen, money is one of the things that we think about, talk about um, every, or even use every single day for the most part. And Jesus in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John actually spends a lot of time talking about money and possessions. And we discover that money is really, really closely tied to the heart, and week number one, we talked about this question, can we trust God with our money, can we trust God, because so often, we will trust God with you know, our career, we will trust God with our families, we will trust God with even the future, but when it comes to money, it's like, okay, wait a second, um, thank you, but no thank you, God, I will take it from here, all right, you hands off the money, because I made that, right, Can we trust God with money? Of course, we discovered that we can. Week number two, which was last week, we talked about what does it mean to be a steward, a steward of everything that God has given us. What does a steward mean? Well, a steward is someone who does not own anything but manages the property and the financial affairs of another person. This is who we are. We are our stewards. Why? Because everything we have belongs to God. Amen, church? Everything, even the ability to go to work, even the ideas that you've come up with for that new business, the skills, the talents, the treasures, what's in our bank account, what's not in our bank account, belongs to the Lord. And we looked at Matthew chapter 25, this parable called the parable of the talents. And we recognize that this is really our story, that Jesus is the master that he, eh, he has entrusted to us so many good things, skills, talents, money, right? And he's taken off, but guess what? Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, here's the deal. We are accountable. That's right, you're accountable for the stuff that you've been given, the money, the talents, the gifts, the treasures, the ideas. Did you do something with them or did you just cower in fear? Did you sit on your hands, Were you lazy, right? Because we got a lot of lazy people. Were you lazy? And we've discovered, listen, that to be a good steward, it means putting to use what God has given us. Now, this morning, specifically, I have entitled this message, How to Honor God with Your, here it is, finances, with your finances. Now, we're going to talk about the tithe this morning, as Victoria kind of alluded, in. Whenever you talk about money in the church, everyone gets a little tense. It becomes a little awkward. If we're not careful, the, the walls come up, and we're like, eh. So tell me a little bit more about that Christmas series we're doing, Pastor Marco. I'm gonna, I'll be here for that one next week. I think I'm going to check out right now. I'm going to make my grocery list right now on Kroger real quick while you're talking. I don't want to hear any of this. And Listen, I, I want to just, right off the bat, I want you. I want to disarm you, hopefully, by saying this, This has nothing to do with the church getting something from you. This is not my heart. I hope you, after five years, I hope you understand that, and I hope you realize that. This has nothing to do with the church getting something from you, or God getting something from you. Rather, I think this has everything to do with God getting something to you, okay? And doing something through you and in you. So I want to just put your minds at ease. This is not for us to get something from you but I do want you to open up your hearts to receive what the Lord will say, <clears throat> Excuse me,'ll say. This is my first big point or big idea, and it's this: tithing or giving the Lord, listen, 10 percent, this is what this means, a tenth or 10 percent. Tithing isn't as much about getting something from you as much as it is God getting something to you. okay? We, of course, we will look at some of the well-known verses when it comes to tithing, but what I really want to do is I want to come at this under the topic of honor. How do we honor God? More specifically, how do we honor God with our money? Because if we're really going to honor God with our money, then that requires more than just, you know, good intentions. It requires action. And so we're going to begin in Malachi this morning, and I'm actually going to begin in chapter 1 just to prove my point that I'm not, this is not all about getting something from you. This is about honor. How do we honor the Lord? And so in Malachi chapter 1, we're going to begin in verses 6 through 8, and then we're going to pray together, and then we'll dive right in Malachi. I think this is right before the Gospel of Matthew, if I'm correct. You can go there, but we'll have the verses on the screen as well. I'll give you some context in just a few moments, but let's read, the, read these verses out first. A son honors his father. This is the Lord speaking through his prophet Malachi. And a slave is master. If I'm a father, this is, the, again, God speaking, where is the honor due me? The key word being there, honor. If I am a master, where is the respect Do me, says the Lord Almighty. It is your priests who show contempt in my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? The Lord responds, by offering defiled food on my altar. Remember, this is in the Old Testament. It was a sacrificial system in the way that the Jews worshipped God. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering that to your governor. In other words, God is like, why don't you you try that on your boss? Just give him the scraps. Give him the least important part of your day. See if that will work. Yeah, it's not gonna work. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty. Okay, we've got a challenging word from God this morning as we begin in Malachi chapter one. Don't worry, I will explain everything along the way and make this relevant for your life because it is incredibly Relevant. Let's pray together first and then we'll dive right in. Lord in heaven, um, we love you and we worship you. And that song, All Hail King Jesus, man, that just gets me every time. Lord, um, we just, before we go further in, we acknowledge that you deserve all the honor, the glory, the power, the praise, it all goes to you. All hail the King of all creation, Jesus Christ. The way, the truth, and the life. And so God, before we go into the word, we just, gosh, we just come to you with our hearts surrendered, our hearts postured in worship. Lord, would you go before us today and would you unlock deaf ears? Would you soften hearts that have been hardened because of life? Would you open blind eyes to see the goodness of God? Lord, some of us in here, we don't believe, we don't, we're cynical, we don't accept you, we don't want you. A crowd this size, there's always a few. Every single Sunday, there's a few. So God, would you move by the power of your Holy Spirit? Would you draw men and women to you? Even right now in our kids' classrooms, would you draw these children to you whom you love so much, God? Draw them to you, open their eyes so that they might see the beauty and um, the glory of Jesus in heaven. We submit everything to you, God, and we say, speak, Your servants are listening. Come with power this morning, Holy Spirit. We invite you here. We know that you're already here, but we invite you to do more. Bless our families. Keep us in the palm of your hands. We pray, God, this holiday season. In Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen. All right, let me give you some context here. Malachi, as we begin with Malachi, some of you are like, I've never heard of this dude. Who is he? When you think of Malachi, it's not the most popular book of the Bible, right? It's like when someone asks you, hey, um, I'm thinking about reading the Bible for the first time, what should I go to? Malachi, nobody says Malachi, right? It's like John, write the Psalms. Hey, why don't you read Pro- Proverbs a day? We'll keep the devil away, or whatever. We say, you know, cliche things like that. Hey, start in Genesis, look at the origins of mankind. Malachi, who's that? I don't, huh, is that in the Bible? Who's that? Okay, what did he do? So let me just give you some context here quickly though. Um, if you don't know anything about the nation of Israel and the Jewish people In the Old Testament, God chose this group of people to be his representatives, to shine his light to all nations. Now, they failed miserably, and what they did instead is they chose idolatry, they chose to worship, really, um, idols, and to mistreat their own people. And because of that, God punishes them, because God is a good God. Listen, God is love, but God also disciplines, and love means discipline as well. Why? Because a good father disciplines his children. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. Right. So God is a good God. A lot of people think God is squishy. Oh, he's just love. He's just there to give you little hugs and kisses. And it's good. God is love. Oh, yeah, yeah. Listen, but God also disciplines. And yes, he does even punish, but not to do us harm, but to, but to show us the right way to go. And so he does this with his people, Israel, and he sends them into captivity into a captivity from another nation, Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq. And so they're literally deported from their hometown or their region, little slice in the Middle East, and they're deported um, out east to the nation of Iraq, and they're under the king of Babylon. Well, in Malachi, this takes place about 100 years after the Persian king Cyrus issues a decree that the Jews are able to go back home and rebuild their temple. About 100 years after this, 538 BC, I believe that is the timeline here. And Malachi is God's prophet, and he is God's representative, and his job is to preach to the people. And Malachi faces some pretty daunting challenges here because he faces a nation who is indifferent to the things of God. You know what I mean? Like, they just, like, they're flippant. They don't really care. They don't, they don't care. And the idea is, is that Malachi wants to stir their hearts up so that they would be removed from apathy and be moved rather towards a renewal or a commitment to the Lord, a renewed commitment to God. And so Malachi has his hands, you know, full. He's got a busy job. This is a hard task. And so Malachi, uh, through the power of God, God speaks to him. And then the Lord says this, Israel, Judah, Judah, Israel to the north, Judah to the south, because they had been divided. God says, Israel, you're no longer honoring me. And they're like, well, what are you talking about, God? Yeah, yeah we do. We, we bring the animals. He's like, here's how I can tell. Whenever you approach me in the sacrificial system, you bring your worst. You're bringing the sick animals defiled animals, diseased animals. You're not bringing your second best. You're not even bringing your third best. You're bringing me the worst of what you have to offer. You're essentially giving me your scraps, your leftovers, the junk no one wants. You're not honoring anymore, honoring me anymore. And this is, this is really a show of dishonor to the Lord. You know, we live in an age or a culture where dishonor is prevalent, right, church? Dishonor is all around us. Look at history. Think about, think about history. We're dismantling everything right now in history, but we're, we're no longer honoring those who came before us. And if we dismantle anything else, we're not going to be left with anything. We're having a difficult time just to honor those who've come before us who have done good, right? We, we're lacking honor. We lack honor in our politics, right? Politics is now in everything. We we know this, and it's been divisive in our world. It's It's become divisive in the church, of course, obviously. And the idea is that we used to be able to disagree with people. Um, and have a cordial conversation and somewhat of a debate, right? Eh, that's not what they say. That's what he said. That's not really his policy. Is we could have a little bit of a, deb- a debate there, but what do we do now? We we vilify people, right? And we insult them. We throw them under the bus. We throw we sling mud. We um, take people's reputation and we run them through the mud to prove our point that we are right. We've lost all kinds of honor, even in public discourse, in politics. We've lost honor when it comes in the workplaces. We're not honoring coworkers anymore. What are we doing? We're making fun of them. We're jeering. We're mocking. We are throwing them under the bus so we can all get a good laugh instead of saying, hey, job well done. Now, that doesn't exist everywhere, but in, in a lot of workplaces, I hear you tell me, man, my place is a toxic culture. People are mean to one another. People are not honoring. I hear that from several of you, so I know this is out there. This happens in many of our workplaces. We've lost honor, right? And what we learn from in the Bible is that we learn how we're supposed to honor. And I want you to notice from this first section of Scripture that God is saying, listen, he's describing honor like this to us. You are no longer, I am no longer a priority To you. So my first point is this, how do we honor? We honor through priority. We honor through priority. When my wife says, it just seems like all you want to do is, and then like, you know, read a book or go somewhere else or, you know, not spend time with me, what is she really saying? She's saying that I'm dishonoring her. Why is that? I'll tell you why it is, because I'm not prioritizing her. Does that make sense? So the people that we love and the relationships that we have, when we don't prioritize them, what are we doing in actual reality? We are actually dishonoring them, right? When we disengage from our kids, when we disengage from the home life fathers, I want to challenge you, passivity is the sin of, uh, of men today, being passive at home being passive with kids, not being involved, not caring whatsoever what the kids are doing, not, care, not, not being involved in your spouse's life. That is the sin of our age. It's the sin of Adam, to be honest with you, okay? But listen, that's a form of dishonor. We're, we're dishonoring by not prioritizing those whom we love in our lives. And so the tithe, listen, the tithe, the idea of the tithe is, is that we're making priority for the work of the Lord through and in the local gathering or the local church. We bring our 10th, our 10% of every time that the income comes in, we bring that to the storehouse, which is the local church. Now, some people will ask, well, Pastor Marco, why has it gotta be the local church? I don't wanna give it to the local church. I'm like, why wouldn't you? You're a part of it, hello? Anyhow, that's a different argument. Um, Anyhow, um, but here's why. Why, why do we bring it to the storehouse or the local church? The answer is simple, because the church is, listen, the primary place where God is most active and at work in our world today. The church, it is good. The church is the place where God is most active and at work in the world today. But but Pastor Marco, Marco, the church is imperfect, okay? I'm I'm not doing that. Bingo, and you're a part of it. You're imperfect as well. Here's what we discover, that Jesus is fiercely protective and fiercely committed to his bride. If that's the case, you can be committed to the bride as well. You can be committed to the local gathering place as well. And the idea is that we're honoring, we're prioritizing the work of the Lord when we give a tenth to the work of Jesus in the local church. Priority. The second way that we honor is we honor from the heart. We honor from the heart. This is really important. These these verses I'm about to read you, they will shock some of you. Malachi chapter 1, just a little further, verse number 10 and 11. Notice what the Lord says through Malachi. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors. Ouch. In other words, it's like Jesus walking through the aisles of Radiant. Pastor Marco, shut the doors. You ain't doing anything. This church doesn't serve a purpose in the community. Shut the doors. People going by on North Euclid, they they can go to the Baptist church down there. There's something better going on on there. But this church, just shut the doors, close the lights off. We're done. This is what God is saying. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not what? Light useless fires on my altar. You guys, this is God saying this. Light useless altars or fires on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord. Almighty, I will accept no offering from your hands, right? You're giving me the worst, the defiled, the sick, the lame, useless fires. I mean, what are you doing, right? My name will be great among the nations, God says. From where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me. Why? Because my name, God says, my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. What do we see here? The Lord He is in it for his own glory. He can be because uh, he kind of created everything. So he can be. Someone like, well, he's just, that's just kind of, you know, pretentious. He's so prideful. No, no, no. When you make everything, you can be that way, okay? When you speak it and it just shows up, you can have that attitude. But until then, you can't. He can, though, because he made it all, okay? It all belongs to him. The Lord says, listen, you have useless fires. That's that's a rebuke, in case you didn't know that. That's a rebuke, you guys. In other words, what's going going on with with the nation of Israel and Judah? God is saying this. You're going through the motions. You're going through the motions. You're not offering worship from the heart. You're just sort of going through the motions. I want to tell you a quick story. I grew up in a pretty religious home. Maybe you can resonate with this story. And um, my mom is still alive, uh, praise God for that. She's a cancer survivor. She's a great mom. My mom was very devout Catholic. And my, my dad wasn't until, until um, near the end of his life, she led him to the Lord, um, praise God for that. He died of cancer. And so my mom was very devout. And so most of my childhood, I would say even into my young, my young, my young adult years, I would go to church, okay? But can I just tell you, I was just going through the motions. And can I just be honest with you, confession time this morning, I hope that's okay. Um, I, would, I, I would just go to church to appease mom. Does that make sense? I would just go to appease mom, and, and please don't tell this to anybody else, but I would, a lot of times I would go hungover, right? I was, hung, I was 21, I think it was anyways, and I would go hungover. I was in the church. I was, my butt was in a pew. But can I just tell you, my heart wasn't there. My heart was not engaged with God. This is the, essentially the message that Malachi has. Like you're just going through the motions. Now, some of you would say, well, oh, but Pastor Marco, you, you went. You, you, you really nice people out here, you would say, oh, but you were there, and that's good. So don't feel too bad. You, you were there, and that's a good thing, Marco. Yeah, no, listen, listen, I didn't give a rip about God, though okay? The the idea is God doesn't really care about butts in seats or butts in pews. What he cares about is your heart. A lot of people think it's just about a butt in a seat or a butt in a pew. It's not. Now, that, that matters. Don't get me wrong, it matters. But God is like, hey, I want your heart. I'm in it for more than just your attendance. Now, it matters because talk to people who can't come to church. My, my friend Lori, who's here for the first time in many weeks, right? We're so grateful for her. Talk to her. She'll tell you it matters being here. She hasn't been able to be here because she's fighting cancer. She's beating cancer, praise God. But listen, it does matter, but God wants more than that. He wants your heart. He wants your heart. And this is the idea that God is trying to get across this morning. There's um, a story. There's Uh, In the New Testament, God deals often with or is conflict with a group of people named the Pharisees, and the Pharisees are the religious rulers of that day, and the Pharisees, here's the thing about the Pharisees, is they had external obedience. What does that mean? That means they had obedience from the outside. Like, on the outside, things looked good for these guys, right? They knew how to follow rules. They were so good at it, check it out, church, that they made up rules to follow the rules. Now, in the New Testament... In, in Mark's gospel, in the, the book of Mark, there's a story of Jesus. There's a conflict going on between Jesus, the Pharisees, and the disciples. And essentially, the Pharisees are like, hey, Jesus, your disciples are messing this all up because they're not washing their hands ceremonially like we are supposed to do. They're breaking all of the laws or the traditions of the elders. Are you, are you going to say something to them or what? Time to speak up, Jesus. We want you to follow The the traditions of the elders. And I want you to notice how Jesus responds. Mark 7, verse 6 through 8. He replied, Isaiah, the, the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, you play actors, you people with masks on. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips. But what does it say there, church? But their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, he says. Their teachings are merely what? Human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to what? Human traditions. There's a lot of people in our city, and I love our city, but there's also some bad things going on in our city. There's a lot of religiosity in our city. What that means is this people offering lip service to God and going through the motions, but no heart connection to the Savior. We have a lot of that. A lot of lip service a lot of going through the motions, but not making a lick of difference in a person's life. It's not changing them whatsoever. That is not a good thing, right? If the gospel doesn't change you, listen, and transform your life, my question to you would be, have you really received the Lord Jesus Christ? Right? We should ask that question. Some of you are like, that seems strict. I don't want you, friends, I don't want you in hell, okay? I care about you. That's the most loving thing that I can actually ask, right? So God wants worship from the heart. And the idea is, is that we, when we give to the Lord, when we give the tithe, um, the idea is that we're bringing to God that which is most valuable to us, you guys. Remember the money is so closely tied to, heart, to the heart. So when we bring the 10th or the 10% to the Lord, when we bring that, we're offering God that which is most valuable to us. What is valuable to you? Let me ask you a question. You would say my wife or my husband. You would say my kids are very valuable to me. You would say my, my home is valuable. And apart from those things, what else is valuable? Probably your, your money, probably. The income, that's okay. We're offering to God that which is most valuable to him. It's saying, God, here it is. It, all, it really all belongs to you. And I'm giving this as a, as a heart, part of my heart to worship you, right? God, I wanna honor you in every part of my life, and even in my finances, right? And so we honor God from the heart. And finally, number three, we honor God with our actions. We honor God with our actions. Uh, we'll, we'll, this will be Malachi chapter three now, and we'll move into this uh, section where we deal with the tithe, we, we deal with the nation specifically here. I, the Lord, do not change, verse number six, So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees. You have not kept them. And then what does the Lord say? He says, return to me. This is about worship. This is about a heart issue. Return. He doesn't start off with saying, hey, give me your possessions. He's saying, return to me. Give me your heart. And I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how? Are we to return? How do we come back, God? He says this, in tithes and offering, offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. So God even allows them to test him. There's no other area in scripture we're allowed to do this. Says the Lord Almighty, and see if it will not throw, I will not open, throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. And again, the idea is, uh, don't even think about the money right now, church. I want you to think about the heart of God. He says, return to me. Return to me, and I will return to you, right? You've wandered. There There are actions that are not taking place Well, what type of action? Oh, I'll tell you, God says, you're not tithing. You're not bringing the tenth into the storehouse. You're not giving any offerings on top of that, right? So he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Because the idea is, is that you can praise God with your lips. You can praise God by lifting up your hands. Um, You can praise God by being here, which is all great. And we all appreciate that. But listen, at some point, there must be action behind your thoughts and your deeds, right? There has to be action behind, uh, really, the commandments of God. There must be action. Uh, 1 John 2, 3, and 5 says this. We know that we have come to know him, here it is, if we keep his commands, right? If we keep his commands. There's, a, there's an obedience in this. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he Commands is what? He's a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. So listen, again, the idea is is that love always requires action. Okay, we know this. We all know this. Love always requires action. And so we can say, we can't just say, hey, I'm honoring God with my finances and then we're not actually giving him the tithe. That would be sort of a contradiction, right? I'm honoring God with my finances. Well, actually, you're not giving though. You're not, you're not bringing the full tithe into the storehouse because love always requires action, right? It requires action. I want to take a, a few more moments here here in my message, and I want to just go, I want to tackle just a few of the objections when it comes to the tithe and, uh, for the next few minutes because there is some debate and there is some talk. People will ask this question and some people will claim that um, tithing is really a part of the law, so we don't we don't preach that here, and and uh, therefore it's no longer in effect. Some people will say that's part of the Old Testament, as if all the Old Testament needs to just be thrown out. I guess then, uh, if that's the case, right? And so there are objections to um, the tithing as being a part of the law. Pastor Mark, we live under grace right now; we don't need to tithe. Uh, but I want to just show you quickly, in reality, the tithe is a principle that's woven throughout the entirety of Scripture, and I want to just start with Genesis chapter 14. In Genesis chapter 14, this is before the law, and I'll explain. Don't worry. Genesis chapter 14, Abraham, or Abram at that time, goes to rescue Lot, who is in Sodom, and he takes with him, in Genesis chapter 14, you can read it yourself, 318 men, trained men, the Bible tells us, He goes off to war and he rescues his nephew Lot and he brings back with him all these spoils with him. And when he comes and returns home, who does he meet with? He meets with a high priest. Where does this guy come from? We don't even know. He just shows up. Like it's very random in the scripture. And his name is who? Melchizedek. Who is Melchizedek? Well, he is the king of Salem, short for what? The king of Jerusalem. The king of Jerusalem. He is a shadow or a type of Christ that shows up in the Old Testament. Well, is that just a theory? No, actually, you can read Hebrews 5, you can read Hebrews chapter 7, and the the writer of Hebrews describes who Melchizedek is in quite some depth and and clarity there. You can read about it yourself, Hebrews 5, Hebrews 7, I think even chapter 8. Well, Melchizedek is the king of Salem, but Hebrews calls him the king of, Of righteousness. This is what? This is like Jesus essentially shows up. In fact, he shows up with bread and wine. It's like communion time. This is very odd for the Old Testament, especially for Genesis chapter 14, which is so early in the biblical text. Now, notice what happens here in Genesis 14, beginning in verse 18. Then Melchizedek, king of Jerusalem uh, in its entirety, Salem, brought out bread and wine. It sounds like a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? He was priest of God most high. It's interesting that Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is our king at the same time. Jesus is our savior. And he blessed Abram saying, Blessed be Abraham by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God most high, and who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then the the, the text that tells us, Abraham, or Abram gave him a tenth of everything. What does Abram do? He gives him a tithe. right? Now, if you still don't believe me, Genesis chapter 28, you can read about Jacob. Jacob also gives a tenth. He says, I will give you a tenth, God, if you rescue me from this, if you will do something I will offer this to you, that which belongs to you. So you might be asking, well, okay, well, well, how does the law play into all of this? Great question. Where does the law come into effect? Well, it doesn't come into effect in Genesis. If you know your Bible, you know that. But it does come into effect in Exodus. That's right, Exodus. This is much a time further down the road. In Exodus where? Exodus chapter 19, chapter 20. Here's what happens in Exodus 20. God tells Moses, I'm going to meet with my people, but you better keep them down on that mountain, or I will destroy them. So God descends on Mount Sinai... In smoke, in fire, thunder, lightning, this great display of God's power. For why? What's the whole reason God says, I am the Lord God Almighty, and you will what? Follow me, and he begins to give them the law. And so what what do we see here in Genesis 14 and Genesis 28? Well, we see this principle of the tithe coming way before the law. Well, what about the New Testament, Pastor Marco? I, th- I thought we were just supposed to give sacrificially or generously. We are. But those verses aren't for us to not give at all. Those verses are to, again, reemphasize the fact that we are supposed to give regularly, intentionally, and sacrificially, right? In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is, again, dealing with the Pharisees. And Jesus is saying to them, listen, you guys are not practicing justice and mercy. And, but you are practicing the tithe. So you should practice justice and mercy, but also give of the tenth. So here's what he says in Matthew 23, verse 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You, he says, you give a tenth of your spices. There it is. A tenth of your spices, your mint, dill, and cumin. But you have neglected the weightier, uh, neglected the more important matters of the law. Literally, the weightier matters of the law, because that's what, what, that's what the, the rabbis, um, Pharisees would actually have these debates on what is the weight, weightier, you know, issues of the law. So Jesus is actually saying, you, you neglect the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And then Jesus says this, you should have practiced the latter, justice and mercy and faithfulness, without neglecting the former, which is the tithe what Jesus is saying, New Testament. So here's what I say to people who approach me with this argument. I will just say, you know, I understand what you're saying, but tithing precedes the law and supersedes the New Testament. Tithing precedes the law and supersedes the New Testament. So it's, a, it's just a principle that's woven throughout the entirety of Scripture. Now, some may say, Marco, surely there are exceptions to the rule, right? Come on. I mean, come on. And I love what Victoria shared with us. She she asked me for permission, and I knew that she would do it. Um, she would do it well. I knew she would do it respectfully, but she gave a testimony, and I, I love it. And let me let me talk about this for a moment, because some of you might say, well, "Come on, Marco, there's got to be an exception." Come on. Yeah, I think there is. I think there is. Um, so if you're a single mother and you've got four kids at home and you're working ten hours a week, fifteen hours a week. I think, I think there's an exception there. Absolutely. But I also want to say this, and Victoria can testify to this, of course, is that that is not an excuse to not honor God with your finances right now. That's not an excuse for you to dishonor him. Those verses are not an excuse, right? That, that idea, rather, I should say, is not an excuse for you to not honor the Lord with your finances. In other words, let me just say this to you. Maybe you're here and you're like, well... You know, I'm only part-time, and I've got three kids at home, and, you know, da 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 Okay, okay, okay. All right. Maybe we can perhaps make an exception, okay? But I start right now with wherever you're at. Start right now. In fact, Victoria actually just basically debunked that. She came up on stage, and she said, you know what? In my situation, working 18 hours a week, single mom of two, I gave a tenth to the Lord, and he always provided. She testified, She basically removed that excuse from any of us. I think it's powerful testimony. And I've known Victoria for many years, and I can testify to that. Yes, the Lord has met her need greatly. And can I just tell you, over and over and over again, I've seen it with my own two eyes, right? And so, yes, there can be ex- exceptions, but I would say this to you don't wait until you think you, you need to have everything put together financially. In fact, families have come to me and said, Pastor Marco, we're in a mountain of debt and we want to tithe, but we can't do it yet. So, we're, we're working our way there. We're, we're at 5%. And I was like, that's amazing. Praise God for that. And I love that. Because why? Because they're on a plan, they're intentional about their worship. They're just not flippant with how they use their money. They're trying to get it out of debt. They're following the Dave Ramsey thing, you know what I'm saying? And they're like, we, we want to give the Lord what, what he deserves. And I love that idea. I love the heart, heart's posture behind that. Because at the end of the day, church, I want to just say this. It should be about your heart's posture towards the Lord. We can argue semantics all day. Because, and I'm not, there's a few of you who want to argue. Well, I don't argue that verse. Let's argue that verse. This is going to make a couple of you, but at the end of the day, you know what it's about? It's about your heart. Until your heart gets transformed, you'll never be able to experience the blessing of that which is the tithe. Until your heart is transformed, right? And you will never experience a heart transformation until what? Until you take a step of faith, though. Until you take, and all the people who are tithing, listen, say amen to that. They know this. They've experienced this. Now, um, I want to say one more thing here. Uh, well, a couple more things. And the idea is this, I want to be very clear, tithing is not generosity. Tithing is not generosity. In other words, listen, generosity is a whole other subject in the New Testament. And yes, we're going to talk about that, we should talk about that, but tithing is not generosity. I want to be very clear. Tithing is honoring the Lord. Generosity actually begins after the tithe. That's, yeah, people are saying, right, because they've lived this, and they know this, and their lives are blessed. You know, what the coolest thing about me being a pastor is I know so many families, and I know, I've known so many families for years and years and years, and I know these guys, I know these certain people, I can't say names because that would not be appropriate, but I know people, families, specifically couples, married, uh, husbands and wives, who've been tithing for years, and they are, they're so, like, they're not millionaires, but they're so blessed. I see how the Lord works in and through every part of their lives. It's just amazing. And guess what? They're generous on top of that. They, they give to the, the orphanage. They give to uh, other causes. Man, it's, it's, it's amazing. I've seen the blessings of the Lord. But I want to be clear, tithing is not generosity. Uh, the generosity begins after the tithe. Let me be very clear with that this morning. So this morning, we're going to wrap up things here. It's 1230. I've got a few more minutes. But as we close, listen, I hope you've heard my heart. My heart is not to get something from you, and that's not even God's heart, okay? God's heart is to get something to you. You you need to see that clearly today, church. As we close, I want to invite you to honor the Lord in your priority, the first and the best. Give it to Him. I want you to honor the Lord from your heart, and I want you to honor the Lord in the action of giving. I want want you to honor the Lord in the action of giving. And listen, over the years of being a pastor, you know, I've heard every story. I've heard some objections, and I've also heard excuses. I don't diminish those at all. I'm not trying to rag on those. But I want to be honest. You know what I've heard more than anything? Testimonies. Testimonies people will come up to me, Pastor Marco, I, st- I started giving the tithe three weeks ago, four weeks ago. You'll never believe this. I'm like, try me. You'll never believe I got a pay raise at work the next week. Pastor Marco, I'm giving more than I ever have, and it's like I have the same amount. I'm like, yeah, that's how it works, actually. You- you're not giving to get. This is not a lottery. This is not a, a get-rich-quick scheme. It's none of that stuff. It's about honoring the Lord with your finances. And so over the years, listen, I've heard lots of excuses. But but more than anything, I've heard incredible testimonies. I want you to test God on this. If you're here this morning, listen, if you're a married couple, let me challenge you. If you're a married couple and you're not tithing, husbands, I want to challenge you specifically, husbands, because God has called you to be the spiritual head in the family. Okay? I want to challenge you to go home, figure out what the the income is, and figure out how you can begin to honor the Lord with the 10th or 10% to God through the local church. And when you begin to obey him, when you begin, listen, to trust him at this, to test him at this, and to put him first, to honor the Lord in your finances, he will honor you. You will be blessed. No, you're not going to be a millionaire. It's not like that. But You will be blessed. You can talk about it all day, but until you take action, you'll never experience the blessing of that which is the tithe. Will you honor the Lord? Some of you this week, will you honor him in the tithe? Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for this message. Messages about money can be difficult, but God, I thank you for this church. It's not hard for me to talk about this in my church, in Radiant Church, because this is a a generous group of people, of people who are longing to be obedient to you. But Lord, would you soften hearts this morning, tear down the walls of excuses, tear down the walls of the past. I know there have been some churches in the past who have... um, taken money and, and misused it and misappropriated it. But God, there's so many good churches, though, they are trying to build the kingdom, trying to make a difference in their city, Lord. Would you soften hearts? God, would you challenge uh, young people especially, Lord, 20-somethings who think this is not a real thing and who are waiting for some day when they get older or some arbitrary day, God, would you challenge them right now to begin to honor the Lord with their finances, God. And I pray, God, that even through this one message, we will hear testimony after testimony after testimony of your provision, God, of your goodness and your faithfulness of how you provided no matter what season we walk through, God, no matter what you have provided. Lord, we honor you this morning. We love you from our hearts, God. We say we love you, we worship you. Jesus, you are the king, you are our high priest, you are the savior who has come from heaven, who has rescued us from our sin. When we couldn't get to God, you came to us and we honor you, God. We don't deserve your love and there's nothing that we can do to to earn it, but you've given it so freely through the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, bless these people as they leave. Keep them safe and well in their health, God. Prosper them as they begin to obey you. We pray all this... All of these things, in Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's clap our hands for our King.